Welcome to The Quantum Leap Catalyst with Terry Ostroviak. In the next hour, Terry and his guests discuss how to accelerate your business success and turn possibility into certainty. So turn up your speakers and hold on. Here's your host of The Quantum Leap Catalyst, Terry Ostroviak. Good morning, everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak speaking to you from San Diego. We have a very, very interesting subject this morning, which has to do with what is our small business worth? How do we value business and our businesses? How do we develop an exit strategy that maximizes the value and so that we get paid for what that business is worth? That's really the idea. Most people go into business with a, with a mentality that is related to the starting point of the business, but they never think too much about what would we do if we had to sell the business at some stage. We say, well, that's something we can put on hold for a moment. And somehow or other, we, we, we don't think ahead that far. So our guest this morning, and we say this morning, although we're talking to people all over the world, and for many of you it's uh, after 5 o'clock in the evening or after 6 o'clock in the evening, and in some places like New Zealand and uh, Australia, it's already the next day. Tomorrow has already arrived. So our topic title today, what is the small business worth? Our guest is a... Hedge Fund Portfolio Manager. He's also a Chartered Financial Analyst. He's a Certified Management Accountant, worked in that area for, long, for many years. He's also a Certified Insolvency and Restructuring Analyst for Businesses. He's got an Economics degree, originally comes from South Africa. Most important of all for today's meeting, he has owned and operated three separate construction companies over a six-year period. He developed a hands-on management technique and turnaround expertise that has basically given him the foundation to implement his trading strategy and giving him an edge over the market. Today, he runs his own hedge fund called Coddingham Management Trust and uh, is very successful in doing that. So let's welcome him. His name is Stephen Bick, B-I-C-K. Morning, Stephen. Good, good morning, Terry. <laughs> so you've got uh, we 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 have a the subject this morning. So when we talk about having an exit strategy that maximizes the value of the business, so that we get paid for what it is worth, what exactly does that mean? Well, it's uh, I think what people get confused with is when you get involved in a company, just like when you trade a stock on the stock exchange. Is uh, when I put an order in to buy a stock, I have an entry point, I have an exit target, and I have a stop point where I'll get out of the market. And it's exactly the same uh, with small businesses. In all the small companies that I've run or turned around, uh, you're always going in with some idea of what you're prepared to pay for the company. That's your entry point. You want to have your exit strategy, i.e., what can you sell your business for, how can you maximize the growth of that business, and then you also have to have a point when you decide, you know, it's not worth it, it's not working, it's time to uh, liquidate. But uh, 99% of all the business owners that I've met in my lifetime, specifically the smaller business owner, they get in business, they start from the, the hood of their pickup truck, and uh, they start building a little business with no idea of how one day they'll sell it. Even when it becomes successful, a lot of times the business is theirs, it's their name, it's their marketplace, they don't have any kind of uh, success um, in place, success or route in place, and so therefore they have no idea how to sell the business and therefore how to maximize so, it. Yeah. So what you're saying, in fact, Stephen, is people become so passionate 
passionate about the idea of having the business, that the business becomes them, in a sense. And the last thing they would think about is, is letting that business go because that's how they define themselves. Is that, is that what you're suggesting? I would, I would say that's certainly a, a big part of it, Terry. I think that uh, another big part of it is they get so caught up in growing the business they never even think about what they're going to do one day when they're uh, turned 60 and their son decides not to step into their, uh, into their dad's business. So there's oh. never a focus on what exactly am I going to do with this business. Sure, it's paying my bills right now, but at some point you're always going to have to step down, and there's never a thought put into that. So you're actually saying that we should be thinking about that from the first moment we start the business. We almost have to be dispassionate and unemotional about it and decide right from the very beginning what is our entry point, as you suggested, and how are we going to get out of this at some stage? What, you know, how, long will it, how long will it last for us? Well, I think that will help a lot of people. I don't know about the dispassionate part because you need to obviously be passionate about everything you do, but I do agree that there needs to be some form of rational approach where you go look at it and say, why exactly am I going to start this business? Because if I do, am I going to be a slave to this business for the rest of my life or is this a business that in five years' time I can see that if I'm successful and I work hard that I'm able to sell it for something more and move on to something else in my existence? sounds to me like, in, in a sense, when I talk about being dispassionate about it, I'm not suggesting that people are not passionate about it, but they really have to be as passionate about the business as they are about it as a almost a commodity, in a sense. Right. That they see it as a business opportunity and that the rules for running a business are different to just simply being involved in a business. Correct, exactly. You're not just a, a manager of a company. It's your business, and you've got to be able to see some exit point. And at some point, you've got to realize, look, it's just not, it's just not worth carrying on. It's just not doing what it's supposed to be doing, and I'm not happy with my existence. It's just not growing, etc., etc. So there's oftentimes an exit where you just determine that you've been putting, you've put five years of your time into this, and it's not done what you want it to do. So it's time to get out. And a lot of people have this big pride thing where they can't get out unless it's successful, but, you know, success is always inherent in your system rather than, or what you perceive other people to see as success rather than an actual success story. So in other words, also what they're seeing is that they see it as a failure if they, if when they, when they let their business go or they want to sell it or they want to close it. Is it really a failure experience? Well, you, I don't think so. I think that a lot of times it's better to save your uh, your cash for another day, fight another day, rather than just use it all up in some failure of a business and end up in the psychologist's room trying to straighten your brain out or how you get you involved earlier and, you know, you can help them get to some kind of a quantum leap into their business so that they can understand, look, if my businesses can't ever do this, let me rather just step aside and rethink my whole business strategy. And I imagine that psychologically that's a really tough thing for people to do, especially in a family business. Sometimes it's a mom-and-pop type uh, operation. Uh, sometimes it's even larger. I mean, uh, many people have had experiences like this where their family started the business, they go into the business. I remember my grandfather, who built a very successful printing business originally in South Africa, um, telling me that it takes three generations from clogs to clogs meaning the first generation builds the business, the second one seems to have been brought up in it so that they are able to maintain it, the third
third generation somehow never ever really did the the homework or, the, or got the foundation that the, the earlier generations got, and they destroyed the business, and so, so the cycle continues. Have you ever right. seen that kind of thing happening? Yes, all the time. Uh, where the father's really passionate about the business, and then he hands it over to his son, and his son doesn't run the business quite the way the father would want it to be run because the son sees some different opportunities. And the next thing, you have this infighting between the father and son, and it's, I've seen it tear families apart. Uh, we've done a lot of commercial litigation work over here in the United States, and a lot of that is family infighting where the father's handed a business over to the kids. The kids have changed the direction. Dad doesn't like what they've done because he still views it as his baby. And uh, the next thing, the whole family falls apart, and they're in court fighting a battle uh, to determine who gets what. So that's really sad. Yeah, I wonder how many families are listening today and know exactly what we're talking about and are actually feeling the pain of an experience like this. Incidentally, if there are people that are listening at the moment that have small businesses and are not sure exactly what the next step is in their businesses, whether they should uh, be keeping it for their families or whether they should be moving it on or whether they want to take quantum leaps, you know that the show today is called The Quantum Leap Catalyst and... uh, my function as a quantum leap catalyst is to take people to the next stage of their businesses and even further than that, in fact. So please call in uh, if, if that's where you are at the moment. Um, that would be important so that we make the show revolve around your needs. I feel that that would be a very, very important area to be working on. And uh, just so that you know, the number that you would call in is one eight double six two double three seven eight six one. And if you're overseas or outside of North America and you want to call in, the number is 1 for the United States, 480-643-5430. So uh, call in to us and have a discussion with us this morning about this subject. We would love to be listening to you as well. Steve, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the areas, some of the issues that are involved in this and why it's important about um, managing our business, about looking at that exit strategy. What effect does it have on our mental attitude and our performance when we know that we have an exit strategy? Well, it has a significant impact on your whole strategy. In fact, 99% of the time people will change their day-to-day strategy of running their business if they just thought about the exit strategy. And the main reason for that, Terry, is you've got to determine what industry you're in number one, and then number two, you've got to look around within that industry and see who is going to acquire you or who you can sell yourself to. The acquirer might not know about you yet, but you're going to let them know at some point because that's who your target sales is. Now, if they are buying businesses, for example, on top-line growth, uh, so revenues, then what you're going to do is you're going to spend the next year or so of your life trying to grow your revenues as fast as possible, and sometimes you're going to let the bottom line not slip per se, but instead of having, let's say, a net income percentage of 10%, you might let that slip to 2% because your goal is to grow your revenues as fast as possible, prove to the uh, potential acquirer that you're a growth company, and then you get a higher multiple. And then on the flip side, a lot of times the acquirer is buying net income. So you might change your strategy and say, you know, let's focus just on our high net income uh, clients. Yeah. Let's drop a bunch of clients, so not focus on revenue. So I mean, I wonder how many people actually <laughs> have ever 
ever thought about something like that in the middle of their businesses? So just after the break, we're going to have a break in a moment, a commercial break, and then we'll be coming back and we'll talk a little bit more about that. It seems kind of harsh in a way, Steve. So I'd just like you to address that. Yeah, it does, because it's almost, it almost looks like it's a commodity. Now the business becomes a commodity, never mind the products we're selling. So we'll come back just after the break, and if you'd like to call in, we'd love to chat to you from all over the world. We know there are lots of people out there that are listening. So we'll be back with you in a few moments. Stay with us, and let's we'll talk about how we go about doing this. See you in a while. Morning, everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak in San Diego, the Quantum Leap Catalyst, as they call me. My guest this morning is the chief executive of an organization called Cottingham Management Trust. Essentially, it's a hedge fund, which uh, my guest runs. His name is Stephen Bick, originally a South African, but lived in the United States for many years now. He is a chartered financial analyst, which means that he can analyze businesses. He's also a certified management accountant. And uh, he's got a background in economics, but he's also very importantly run construction companies, small construction companies. And this morning we're talking about what is our small business worth? And Steve was saying on the first part of the show that we need an exit strategy. And, well, most people say, well, when I die, that's my exit strategy. <laughs> what exactly You're not is far off, strategy? <laughs> I'm not far off. <laughs> Too close to the bone, right? <laughs> Right. Why? What is an exit strategy? Well, an exit strategy is just a, a way of exiting or selling your business, either handing it over to uh, your kids or your heirs, or else selling it to another company, or in some instances just shutting down the doors. Um, I've got a, a great example of, uh, of how much is your business worth uh, with a, a high-tech company that we were looking at uh, and trying to help strategize a little bit, and he was rapidly running out of money, had got a decent product that uh, couldn't get traction, couldn't get it into the market. And um, it had got to a point where he had pretty much run out of money, so there wasn't a lot we could do. And he was saying, having his farewell party to all of his employees on the Friday afternoon, saying that was it, they were shutting down shop, and today was the last day. And out of the blue, one of his uh, customers phoned him up and said, you know, We've been uh, we've been listening about hearing your technology, and it's used in a lot of our clients' uh, software now. And we're slowly getting to a point where we're interested in buying you. And uh, how does fifteen million dollars sound? And so that was a situation where his business went from zero to fifteen million in the minute, in the space of about five minutes. So uh, <laughs> there's a case where you know he called everyone in and said, "We're back in business. We've just been acquired." But uh, that's one of those. Sort of <laughs> happy stories, but uh, typically it takes a little bit more planning than that, and uh, in particular, just starting to target who you want to acquire or grooming your your uh, relatives or your family members or whoever it is to take over the business so that there's a smooth transition. Uh, or else how, soon, how soon does one talk to relatives in the business about stuff like that? You know, I, I know that in, in family-owned businesses, for instance, a lot of Parents or a lot of fathers, maybe even mothers, uh, hang on to the reins of the of the sh- of, of the of the show, and then only when they are beginning to feel that they just can't manage it anymore, at that time they start talking to the kids. Meantime, the kids are who've been working in the business maybe for a while, 
or maybe not even in the business, just feel that that's not for them because they've always felt that it was their parents' business, not theirs. Right. So that's too late. The process, yeah. should, they be, should, the, should the owners be revealing their plan? I think you're going to have to reveal your plan a lot sooner than that because in that situation, to groom someone to take over a company you've been running and know intimately for the last, let's say, two decades, is going to take a lot longer than you anticipate. It's not you just don't groom someone overnight. That'll have take about two to five years, I would think, just to get somebody up to speed where you, as the business owner, feel comfortable. Because remember this: you're not giving the business to your kids. I mean, a lot of people seem to think, well, if I hand if I hand the business to my kids, I've given it to them. You don't necessarily have to give your business away. You can sell your business to them, and you can obviously give them favorable terms and a favorable price to give them a leg up. But uh, ultimately, I would always think that it needs to be a business transaction where there's a loan against the company, and then yeah. you pay it out over time, which, of course, now unless you feel comfortable that your kid can run the business properly, you're going to pretty much have uh, that loan's going to go to nothing, so you want to make certain that you're going to get that loan back and without peering over the shoulder all the time as well. So it's a difficult How do you do that, Steve? Because isn't it true that when the young bucks come into a business and the parents have been running it for a long time, the, the, the parents, and I'm saying parents because there are women-owned businesses as well that are prevalent, much more prevalent today than they used to be, and the kids move in and they start taking over, and once they feel that they've got a, an understanding of how to drive this, this process, they eventually feel that they own it already, and there might even be a bit of arrogance in the process and, and, and a sense of resentment that they're now doing all the work and that the owners are sitting around watching them work. Sure. No, I agree with that. It might well be like that, yes. Yeah, I, that happens a lot, and uh, you know, there's a couple of examples of people here in in San Diego that are running through that same problem, where their kids have been pretty much given the business or taken the reins over, and they want to go into more of a high tech arena from a low tech manufacturing situation. It scares right. the father, and the father now, um, you know, is starting to butt heads with his kids, and the kids are now saying, "Well, hold on a second, you sold us the business, or you." gifted us the business, therefore it's our business now, which technically it is. Um, so I think you, this grooming process has to happen for many, many years before you get to a point. And the kids, I mean, if, think about it. If your kid, well, you didn't have this business, and your kid went out into the world and started working as an intern and grew up, you know, became an accountant and then became a salesperson and eventually was ready to run their own business at the age of 30 or 35, that's a five or a ten year um, situation of grooming. And a lot of parents think, oh, well, my kid's 21, therefore I give him the business. No, and the kid a lot of times expects that to happen, but they have absolutely no business acumen and no way of running that business. So but a lot of they are already over 30, though, Steve, this is really the point, and mm -hmm. feel that they've been hanging on too long, at which point... You know, do they? Do the parents make the break? Do they sell the business to the kids? I think. I think there's a there's a generational gap problem there, in that the the the, the older parents have been running this business for many years. It's their baby. They know exactly how to fine tune it and how to build it. The kids bring in a lot more creativity and certainly a lot more energy and a bit more forward thinking. But the parents start to get very anxious about. Will they have enough money for the rest of their lives if they move this business into the hands of their kids? And they become, right. 
then dependent on the kids paying them out. So what are they doing about that? that? There's a lot of strategies. I mean, the, the company can go get a loan, uh, assuming it's yeah. large enough, and they, they can then pocket a certain percentage of what they sold it for to make them financially stable. Uh, there's also the... In You're talking about the parents now. Yeah, so the, the company gets the loan. It shouldn't be guaranteed by the parents. It should be guaranteed by the company. But uh, yes. young, we're assuming here that the company's got a relatively decent track record and can get a loan. So that right. loan is then pocketed by the parents, and it's up to the kids to pay the loan off. And if they can't, the company's out of business, but at least the parents have some form of cash that they can utilize to retire on. But I don't think, you know, it's quite an unhealthy situation where the whole parent, the parents just give the business to the kids, and the kids now have free reign without really paying the parents anything, and the parents are reliant on them keeping the business going into the future. They need to take care of that retirement uh, situation up front. Otherwise, don't sell it to the kids. Sell it to somebody else. You know, it's not as if you have to. All right, and, and, and what you suggested earlier is that these decisions or these discussions should be happening a lot earlier in the process than when there is a sense of desperation. It's like selling a business when we're desperate or selling a share when we're desperate and our right. thinking process can't be that rational. Correct. That's what you're saying, right? That's exactly right. All right. Now, I'm sure in the heat of the moment and, and, and parents and children not wanting to hurt one another, I'm going to say it as bluntly as this, probably don't tell the truth to each other. <laughs> um, I'm not suggesting that they lie purposely. I mean, the intention is to be as gentle and as caring about one another as they should be, but they're really not saying exactly what it is that's bothering them and they're not saying exactly what it is that they want. No, you and this right. is a very, very good communication process between the two, both sides. It must be very difficult to negotiate something like this. Can no, people do it alone? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, you can. There's a lot of people that try, and obviously there's certain success stories. But unless you have some kind of an arm's-length transaction that's been negotiated through a third party, um, I think you're exactly right, Terry. Then one side or both sides are very frustrated and things don't come out that should have come out and then you've got problems on the go forward basis without a doubt. Yeah, which, if, which actually breaks up the whole family. Right. I think, have you ever had an experience like this yourself personally? The breaking up my family? No, no, no. no. The, the, the experience of having, being in a family business, maybe not even with your father, but maybe with relatives, working in a relations uh, business and uh, finding that there was a, a breakdown in communication or a lack of communication, let's say. No, we've never, never had that situation oh, yeah. in-house. Um, the, the two family businesses, the one uh, my father ran, didn't do very well, and in fact it pretty much killed him of a heart attack because uh, it went under, and he had to then, uh, he gifted it to me in the inheritance, and that was where I learned Turnaround 101 the hard way. But um, And my uncle's business was on the other way. It was so successful that it went public, and it was by the time we all grew up and there was an opportunity to step into the business, it was, you know, right. we were going to have to start right at the bottom like everyone else and work our way up, and we just didn't see that as something we wanted to do. Right. And in that Point case, number one is really I'm just suggesting that most of us have had experiences like this, and right. I don't know if we always learn from it. We're going into a break in a moment, Steve, so just yeah. after the break, maybe with, we... Well, not maybe, but definitely we need to talk about some of the things that we should be doing that will ease that process and make it uh, more comfortable, more smooth for us. So 
go about it. So we look at the various uh, opportunities that are out there to maybe help us get through that process more easily. So just after the break, if people are listening right now, come back to us just after the break, and we'll talk about some of the, the steps that we need to be taking in the process of moving our business or take, having an exit strategy. So see you after the break. Hi, everybody. This is Terry Ostrovia. Come back again for the third part of our show this morning. We're talking about what is our small business worth, how do we value it, how do we develop an exit strategy, and when do we do that. And our objective is to maximize the value and get paid for the business what it is worth, rather than just simply seeing this thing happen by accident or by conflict. So Steve Bick, who is our guest this morning from Cottingham, Cottingham Management uh, Trust is actually a hedge, runs a hedge fund at the moment, but he is a qualified valuer, chartered financial analyst, certified management accountant, and uh, has given lots of advice in valuing businesses at many times and lectures on that subject here in San Diego as well at one of the local universities. Steve, tell us, uh, we've been talking about some of the negative things that might happen in, in, in small companies or in organizations where people have been unclear as to how to handle an exit strategy or unclear about what to do to move the business maybe to another generation or to maybe have somebody from outside acquire the business. So what are some of the steps that are involved here and how do we move it forward positively? Really, there's, uh, I see there's sort of four steps. Um, the first thing that the business owner has to determine is uh, what sort of time frame are we talking about here? Is uh, the sale expected in the next uh, six weeks? Is the sale expected in the next six years? Obviously, the longer you have, the better for you because you're able to uh, implement certain plans that we'll discuss later. But uh, that's the first thing to determine. And the longer, the better. I mean, I've never seen anyone successfully get out of a business for something they think it's worth when the time frame is shorter than a year, it just doesn't happen. Um, then the second thing is how much do you need for your business? Uh, and this is really a lot of people don't even appreciate the fact that their business, while it's paying the bills, is really their biggest asset they have. And so in selling it, they're unlocking a lot of the capital that they've put into this business. So how much do you need to retire? And that's where you need to start sitting down and go and working out what your monthly requirement of that investment is going to be. Then, of course, the third step is who is going to acquire you, and um, the fourth step is how are we going to go about this, and that really is where you start planning, and a lot of people don't ever put a plan together, and uh, I must admit, when you start planning for your exit strategy, that's when, to me, it's very important to speak to someone like yourself, Terry, because, um, you know, a lot of times people go, well... We want uh, $2 million, therefore we need to get our revenues of our business to $4 million to sell it for $3 million and pay taxes. And then they, rather than just implementing their plan, if they came to someone like yourself who can actually start getting them to think, well, let's really unlock the true growth potential of this business and let's rather take this business instead of to $4 million in revenues, let's take it to $20 million in revenues. And they've never even thought of that before. They've never dreamed that possible. And then once You're they talking about a real quantum leap here, then. Right. Once they actually take, get that in their brains, the next thing they know, 
a presto, you know, this is possible. And just, you know, on that quantum leap side, See, what you're saying then, in fact, is that when people start thinking about an exit strategy, that might mean the whole takeoff of the business to a completely different level that they never ever dreamed of as being possible before. A real quantum right. leap, in fact. Right. And I think even without exiting, you know, it's helpful just to, to start plan the planning process because a lot of times when you write things down, you'll realize, well, hold on, you know, two million sounds like a lot. But the next thing you know, you start, you write it all down on a piece of paper and you see what you're going to be earning at that level. And you go, well, this isn't very much. I thought that I was going to be making a lot more than that. So therefore, I need to get the business to eight million. And you work out how you can get it there. Um, and you change that whole mindset, just like you say. Get a quantum leap, wow. go jump forward. It's a huge insight for me today as well, a real aha experience, in fact, to suddenly see how an exit strategy, which almost seems like the end of the process, <laughs> in fact, becomes the beginning of the process, the beginning of a whole new way of looking at our businesses. Not, nothing to be feared, in fact. Something to be, in fact, almost a necessity in a business to be making I, I, decisions like that. I couldn't agree more. I I yes. could not agree more, Terry. You've, it is yes. a necessity. It, you've got it's a launching pad for a completely different way of thinking. Correct. And you've got to do that if you're running any type of small business. Instead of just looking at the day-to-day grind, if you realize that this isn't a grind, this is my biggest asset I have, and how can I grow this business to where I can sell it, um, you suddenly are not working for the business. The business is working for you. Wonderful. Oh, that yeah. really is a, a huge insight today. And, and the reality as well is that most people just don't have the skill sets r- available to them because they've been grinding away in their businesses, and so their mind is narrowly focused on how can I, how can I make sure that my doors are going to be opening at the end of the month so that I can pay the bills. So why would they be thinking about stuff like this? And you're suggesting that they do this much, much, much earlier in the process. Well, yeah, and you've meant, I mean, that's a great example. How can I keep the doors open? You know, a lot of times people have started this business, and that's what I'm saying. In stock trading, you'll go in and you'll have your entry point. Where am I going to sell the stock, i.e. the growth side of my business? And if the whole business isn't working, where do I sell this position? And sure, it's easier to do in stock trading because I can do it in 30 seconds, but in a small business, it's exactly the same. If your business is just a daily grind, it's, draining you of all your energy. You just worry every day about how you're going to keep the doors open. Maybe it's time just to shut the doors, sell what you've got, sit down and strategize, take what you've learned from that business, and start a new business that does target how you're going to get out because maybe you've entered at the wrong place. You just got into the wrong business. Uh, There's no reason for taking a step back before you jump forward. A lot of people have started a business without ever thinking, how am I ever going to get out of this? Yes. Uh, I, I think I've, I've had experience even in my own family with, where my father had a, had a business for years. Probably shouldn't have been... Uh, I mean, he should have been in business. There's no doubt about that. But he, he didn't have that real passion for it. He would do it because he felt obligations to, to the family, to be earning a living. But he was so good, for instance, with his hands. He was a marvelous carpenter, for instance. So... The moment the doors of the, the business closed, there he was off uh, learning about carpentry and fixing things. <laughs> he was a real jack-of-all-trades and could do things like that. 
And uh, so an exit strategy for him would have allowed him maybe to to do the things that he really loved. And funny enough, later on in his life, he did just that. But he didn't. The business didn't end on the note that he wanted to. Didn't give him the return that he needed. And that I think right. that's very sad when people spend fifteen, twenty years running a business and don't get the return. Well, exactly right. And a lot of times you're not doing what they love to do, which is a real shame, as you say, because you spent fifteen years of your life doing something you hate doing. And uh, you've got to sit down and think why sometimes. I mean, why am I doing this? As you say, where in your grandfather's case, all he wanted to do was be uh, a carpenter. I mean, there's tons, there's nothing wrong with just being a carpenter or being the best carpenter in the town, and the next thing you're commanding a premium, and there's your business. Well, it, it was just anything to do with fixing stuff. I mean, he was just so right. good at that. You know, it was interesting... Um, my grandfather, funnily enough, that, that, what I was talking about earlier about the carpentry thing was my, my father, but my grandfather had a, a, an interesting philosophy, which I, I mean, he was very, very successful over the years, but he used to say to me uh, about business that you can't like, you can't do what you like, you have to like what you do. And I think that that generation actually were in that situation. They felt that they had no choice. Right. In today's modern world, we do have choices. And I've spent my whole life, even from the age of 18, ensuring that I would always be doing something that I wanted to be doing, even if it might not be as financially uh, lucrative as maybe other things. And right. I, just, I just feel that that's one of our purposes in, in, in being in this world, is to, is to spend our time in the area that we're best suited for and then right. make that thing work. Because that's where the passion is, as you talked about earlier. Right, without that passion, you're not going to be number one, that's for sure. Right, let's summarize those those points again that you mentioned right at the beginning of this break, of this period. Sure, the first one, of course, is what's your time frame to exit. And right. then the and next... you're aware of that, and write it down. Correct. Oh, you've got to write all of this down, and all of this really goes into the fourth thing, which is how we're going to exit, which is your plans. But uh, you need a time frame. You need to know what sort of amount you want to sell your business for. And a lot of times you need 10 million or whatever, or 5 million to retire, and you know right away your business is only worth $200,000. So guess what? You, you, you're not anywhere near to your goal. So once you've worked out what you need, that will also change your focus. And then once you focus now on what you need, then you see who's acquiring you. So that will be the third step. Who are you going to target your business to? And then the right. fourth step is to plan towards that. How are we going to exit? Excellent. That that really makes a huge difference in our in our thinking, Steve. And uh, that that gives us a guideline. But it also it wakes us up into recognizing we have to do something about it. These things will not just happen by accident, and we can't just say, "Well, one day we'll just close down." Right. It's crazy to do that. We're going into another break, and then we'll be coming back and in the next uh, in the next period, the next the last period. We'll talk about some more how-tos to make this thing really work for us. If you'd like to call in to the last period, please feel free to do that. Speak to you in a moment. Stay with us. Hi, everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak going into the last part of our show here in San Diego. My guest, Stephen Bick, Steve Bick, is talking about what is our small business worth, how do we value a small business, how do we develop an exit strategy, and most important, how do we get paid ultimately for what that business is worth? In fact, Steve, we've just received uh, an email from uh, from Israel, in fact. Um, he has a person asking a question. He says, I have a business in the cosmetics field. Um, the company is 11 years old. I have two sons that run it. I feel 
steady with the way they are they are doing it or running the company. If I fire them, it will have a huge impact on the family relationships. Yeah. How should I start planning on selling the business? Well, they're running it, are they? So they don't own any part of the business. They're running it, correct. Okay. They may so have some small shareholding in it, I imagine. Right. Right. I think that the, they're, the not, they're not doing well. Really, that's the point about it. Is that well, maybe no. This this is a woman who runs the business apparently in the cosmetics field. She says it's unsteady. In other words, not running as consistently as it should. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the, the 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 best way that I've ever seen, you know, and in witnessed about going about this type of thing is. If the kids don't have any ownership interest in the business, maybe give them a small piece and then say, look, this is the plan. I've got my inheritance and this is my company basically that uh, is I need to rely on and retire. And what I think we do is if we work as a team and we can actually sell this business to somebody else, then what either you guys can go and work for those people because we'll have an earn-out provision where you guys are sold with the business. And if you don't want to go and work for somebody else, you want to start your own business, which part of this business do you want to keep? You can purchase that away from me, and then I will take the rest of the business and sell it. And in that case, what you're doing is you're trying to get some kind of a team atmosphere going rather than, you know what, you guys are messing up. My business used to do this. It's now, as she says, unstable. So I need to sell it. I don't like what you're doing. The other way around is, look, guys, let's work together. I've decided that we. I need to sell this business. Either you can buy it from me, and in that case, we're going in independent valuation, and uh, and we'll try and work out a methodology where you acquire it, and I'm just out, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Or else, if you don't want to acquire it, then why don't we sell it? and we can unlock some money, and if we do a really good job of selling it, then you both will get a decent piece of the uh, profits or the bonus of the company uh, on the sale of the business for all your efforts. And in that case, you're rewarding them, even though you don't think that they deserve what uh, they may be deserved, but at least you're keeping your family intact, which I think at this point is possibly even yes, more Yes, that's the bottom line, obviously, in this relationship. So you can just imagine the, the, the family um, issues that are involved at the moment with with a mother saying to herself, I'm going to lose my two sons at, at the stage of my life. That's the last thing I want. It's a very, very delicate balancing act that we're talking about. And it's so common in family-run businesses at this stage. I mean, you could almost predict that this is going to happen in, in, in literally 90% of, of, of businesses that get to that stage of maturity. Right. Well, she's got a dilemma. She even either loses her company, at which stage she has no money and she can't basically support herself, or oh, she loses yes. her sons. And lose lose the sons as well if she doesn't do the right things. Right. So, I mean, it's a very, very tricky situation, and I would definitely sit down, explore your options with uh, a professional, and then uh, if the professional can, help you mediate with the two sons and try and get to a common ground. And at that point, everybody's on the same page, and then you can determine the exit strategy from there. But I would, without a doubt... Uh, uh, you know, contact a professional either in your area or if you'd like, you can always email myself or Terry and uh, we'd be happy to help you in any way we can. All right. So the thing the thing really to do at this moment is to get it professionally valued, I would imagine, at this point. And I mean, step number one. And then sit down and write out a plan and say, okay, is, this, is there sufficient money here in this business as it is for all of us or not? If not, 
how do we take it up to a much higher plateau or much higher level, not a plateau, but a much higher level so that there is more in it for us and maybe even regenerate the, the excitement and the passion that they originally had in it, but we're doing it all together. Steve, we have uh, another caller on us, Robert from San Diego. Would you put him through, please, to us? Robert, good morning. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? Very good. How are you doing? Not bad. Listen, That's I have a question of Stephen. Um, he's been talking about small business, but he's uh, talking in the, in the small business in the $1 to $3 million range and up. And yes. I'm talking, and I'm wondering about micro-businesses, those small businesses that are between 100000 and, say, a quarter of a million a year in income. And generally speaking, the owner is, the, is like a job. Right. Really a business. Yes, that's how they handle it. And how your question how, is, Robert? How would you handle that? You mean the, the exit strategy in a small micro business? Yeah, and how would you value it? Oh, it depends what industry you're in, uh, Robert. It uh, obviously some industries are driven by revenue multiples and some are driven by net income, but you did right, there's thousands of businesses out there that are in your situation where it really is a type of a job. Um, you can still do a lot of things to try and boost your business and find out who's acquiring that business. And a lot of times, to uh, get yourself out, it requires finding someone else that you can acquire and actually grow the business rather from a uh, from a job where it's just paying you a certain income. You can actually go out and acquire other people in your similar situation, tack them all together, and suddenly you've got a half a million to a million in revenues, and then it's something that's a lot more saleable. Um, than what you've got right now. Very good plan. And does that answer your question, Robert? Yeah, that's a good plan. Okay, so that gives a, that's a, another plan for it. In other words, once again, I think I think this is something just popped out of the, out of our discussion today that was so valuable, Robert. And that is that this could so well just be an opportunity to move forward and take our business to a new level instead of just thinking as, the, as this micro mini business that we've got and it's, it's just a job for us every day and we feel that we are stuck with it. Here's an opportunity to talk to a specialist maybe and, and value it as it is at this moment. And a specialist doesn't have to be a, a, multi, you know, a, a really costly multi-million dollar type uh, specialist, but just simply value it as it is at the moment, say, and then start looking at some further goals down the road and, and, and look at the possibility of a quantum leap so that ultimately it will deliver what it's supposed to. So that's what Steve was saying in a sense. Is that a good idea? That sounds good Robert. to me. Yeah, and Robert, Sorry, if you need any more assistance, you can always give me a call because, uh, for example, everyone that I've uh, helped acquire businesses, um, and I have a friend here that I helped acquire a carpet cleaning company, and uh, the whole idea was, sure, he was going to earn $100,000 a year, just like you're saying, but the long-term plan that we put in place before he even acquired it was, uh, how am I going to grow this business? What are my strategies? Right. And it was, you know, add some carpet cleaning businesses plus potentially some um, management of buildings and then okay. take it into painting cleans, etc. Ah. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Robert, we we just going into the close right now. Thank you very much for calling in today. Really appreciate it. Uh, keep doing that. That would be fine. Thanks Thank you very much. much, Steve. I think we've got some wonderful ideas today on what the situation is with businesses that we should really go in a lot earlier. Would you just go through your step, your four-step formula again, what we need to do? 
Right, to exit, I would bullet points. Yeah, time, first lay, what you, how long do you have to exit, what amount of money right. are you looking for, who's going to acquire you, and how are you going to get to that point? Right. Next week, our guest is a woman by the name of Suzette Nichols. She's an American. She's in corporate finance at a large bank in the Netherlands. We're going to be talking about the management tools that we need to apply to our business to make our job a lot easier. She's a very exciting speaker, just completed an MBA, and you'll really love to be with her. Thanks so much, Steve. Uh, we'll be back on air next week at 8 o'clock Pacific time on the Quantum Leap Catalyst. Good morning, everybody. Have a great week. Bye-bye.